Dear God, we have been much in worship already. You swept us heavenward with our worship team, with one another, and now we're waiting on you. Blessed is the one who hopes in the Lord. We hope, we believe, we wait. Teach us through Holy Scripture this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was a kid growing up in Japan, born in that land of the rising sun, there is something that is stuck in my little boy memory that I will never lose. We used to see them. World War II, this was back in the day, World War II Japanese veterans still dressed in their drab, olive, worn, tattered uniforms. Maybe a red and gold, as their colors were, insignia, a patch somewhere. A pointy little hat. You've seen those hats in the movies just to get tighter and tighter at the top. They usually traveled in bands of three or four, these veterans. The reason they stick in my mind is simply because they were victims of missing appendages from the war, without an arm, without a foot, without a hand, some of them no legs at all. My mother would say, Dwight, quit staring, just keep moving. They were beggars. One of them inevitably, three or four, they would huddle against the wall of a jam-packed Japanese train station or on the street corner of a, with a sea of humanity flowing by, they would pressed against the wall and one of them inevitably would have that uh, old accordion and he would be playing, always in the minor, that's most of Japanese music is in the minor, playing the, this mournful tune. And they would bow as the passers-by hurried by, pretending they didn't even exist. It's the, way it, it's the life of a beggar. Everybody hurries by. You know the drill. <laughs> Act like you didn't see them. They're at the interstate. They got the signboard. They got the cardboard. It says, need food. Do you have work? My children are hungry. And you look the other way. Beggars are used to it. Those Japanese beggars, pitiable specimens. Nobody ever forgets a beggar. Pitiable, I suppose, this beggar in a story that I hope we will not forget. Open your Bible to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. A blind beggar, and somehow tucked away in the story of this man is a word from God to a campus poised, almost begun, not quite yet. A final word before the new year begins. The Gospel of Mark. You didn't, you, you, you didn't bring a Bible, you don't have your smartphone, then pull out the pew Bible. It'll be page 682 in your pew Bible. I, I'd like you to track this, this narrative. Mark chapter 10. I'll be in the NIV today. Mark chapter 10. Verse 46. Mark 10:46. Then they came to Jericho, the city of Palms. And they came to Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, here he comes, today's hero, a blind man, Bartimaeus, 
What's that name mean? Son of Timaeus, as it says. A blind man was sitting by the roadside. You've seen them. You know instantly that picture. He was sitting by the roadside begging. Pitch black. Pitch black. No job. Need food. Sympathy, pity, please. But as so often happens when nature takes away one of our senses, we get the next one in spades. Acute sense. He can hear. And in the chatter, the laughter, the human conversation flowing by his darkness, he picks out the name, repeated again and again. That he had heard of him, teacher healer from that northern village of Nazareth. He picks out the name Jesus. And when, okay, here we go, verse 47. And when he heard that it was Jesus, and I love that, when he heard that it was Jesus. Have you noticed how the human heart is keyed to the name of Jesus? Especially if, like Bartimaeus, you've already heard the name. There's something about that name. When you hear the name Jesus, something clicks. There's something, something, something about that name. I think of the old, the uh, Gaither gospel song. Uh, you know it. Jesus, Jesus. Oh, do you know that one? Yes, put the words on the screen. Let's do that. Jesus, Jesus, oh Jesus, there's just something about that name. I love this. Master, Savior, Jesus, like the fragrance after the rain. Jesus, Jesus, oh Jesus, let all heaven and earth proclaim. Kings and kingdoms shall all pass away, but there's something about that you ought to be glad you weren't in first church because I said it even lower. It was terrible. <laughs> I'm the only guy up front singing. <laughs> no matter what key you pitch that in, the truth is there's something about that name. That was my dad's favorite song. We sang it at his memorial service. Us three kids, Greg at the piano, me and Carrie, all three of us singing. Just singing that song. I can hear my dad humming it around the house. There's something about that name. When he heard, when he heard the name Jesus. Have you heard the name? Have you heard the name lately? Have you responded to what you have heard lately? When he heard the name. When he heard Jesus. How's it go here? Verse 47. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus of Nazareth, Son of David, have mercy on me. The key word there in the Greek is the word, it's intentionally inserted, began. 
That means it continued and continued and continued. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Of course, he's yelling at the top of his blind lungs. And verse 48, I love this. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. You know, there's some people that just cannot understand why anybody would be all that excited about Jesus. Can you just keep that music down? It's too noisy. It's just too loud. You don't have to get that excited about him. There are always people, when you start shouting the name of Jesus, who will stand up and say, shh, shh, hush up. (laughs) I love Bartimaeus because look at his response. Now, don't do this here, but uh, look what he does. Verse 48, many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Just have mercy on me, son of David. And of course, he can't see a thing. He just, he knows that this crowd is flowing by. There's got to be Jesus somewhere and there's something in that name. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he won't quit shouting. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Actually, you know, the the phrase son of David is a messianic exclusively messianic appellation. Only used in the synoptics, by the way. Bartimaeus knows this is not just another vagabond healer. This is the Messiah. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. It's interesting, the uh, Bohemian martyr, Jan Hus, you ever heard of John Hus? Bohemian martyrs, they ignited that pyre, and the flames swept up to the stake where he is bound, began to sing this single line, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, as the flames swept toward his body. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Because once you, once you breathe that prayer, one prayer is never enough. You keep repeating it and repeating it and repeating it. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Over and over and over again. Bartimaeus will not quit. He will not quit. Like the widow in the parable last week, the, uh, the uh, persistent widow, he will not quit. Like the friend who shows up at midnight, you remember that story? He will not quit banging on the door. Like Elijah, he will not quit. You remember the story of Elijah? You remember Mount Carmel? God nukes the summit. You remember that? But God, we needed that fire. But that's not what we really need. We need in a land clutched in the destroying grip of drought. We need rain. And so what does Elijah do? That fire licked up all the rock and the water. There's just a smoldering hole, and he walks to the edge of that that, uh, treed. And I've been on that summit. He walks to the edge of that treed summit. He finds a quiet place, and he begins to pray. You know what he's asking for? We need rain. We need rain. Fire was great, but we have to have rain. Send rain. After he prays, he says, Yo! Calls a servant over. He said, go check. Servant runs to the western edge of the hill. He looks out over the Mediterranean. Any sign of rain. The servant comes back and he says, Master, I'm sorry, there is no sign. Elijah says, leave me alone. I'll keep praying. Puts his head between his knees again and he prays. 
Time number two, praying, praying, God, we need rain. Calls the servant, the servant, he says, hey, go look. Servant goes and looks, come back, comes back and says, sorry, no rain. Elijah now prays the third time, head back between his knees, begging God to have mercy and send the showers of blessing that we need. Servant comes back the third time, no rain, leave me. Elijah now moves into the fourth time to the mat with God, begging God, you promised to do a new thing. You said you'll pour floods on the dry ground. We need rain. Go look now. Servant comes back. Not a sign, not a whiff of rain. Fifth time now, Elijah. Feet in the dust, his face buried in the dirt. God, I beg of you, are you not hearing me? We need rain. Fire is nothing compared to rain. Fifth time the servant comes back. Not a, not a hint. Sixth time, Elijah prays, pleading with the God of the universe to unleash the showers of heaven. Sixth time, the servant comes back, nothing. Ladies and gentlemen, listen carefully. If Elijah had ceased praying after six major no's, that land would have been clutched in drought forever and ever. It would have felt like it was because Elijah went back for the seventh time. Sometimes you're ready to throw in the towel, I know. Throw in the towel. Do you know, God, how long I've been asking for this? I've been begging you. You have not heard me. I quit. Boy, are you quitting? You're quitting on the sixth time? Girl, it's number seven or seven times seven. You can't quit. You can't quit. That's the point of this story. Bartimaeus, Jesus, son of David, have mercy. Shh, shh. You can't be hushed up. You have to keep praying. You cannot quit. And Bartimaeus doesn't. Do you know why Bartimaeus won't quit, by the way? Do you know why? Because Jesus may never be this close again. This may be my last shot. If I don't get him now, if he doesn't answer my prayer now, it's curtains. I'll never be this close again. There's sometimes when Jesus passes especially close to your life, you sense it, you feel it, you know it. Boy, in those moments, those are the times you lock on to that name. There's just something about this name. And you keep pleading, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. You cannot quit. Ever, ever, ever. Maybe the last opportunity I ever have. Then I'm going down. I'm going down begging for that rain. Verse 49. Oh, I just love this story. I love every line of this story. Look at this. This is verse 49. So, so here he is. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, Jesus, son of David, have mercy. He gets louder when they tell him to hush up. And I love this line. Read it. Verse 49. Jesus stopped. Jesus stopped. And he said, call him. Isn't that something? Did Jesus hear him the first time? Oh, he heard him. 
He heard him that first time. He hears you the first prayer you breathe. He hears. But as is the nature of God and a loving parent, I want to hear how long. I want to see how much you want what it is you're asking me. Elijah, how many times have you been at this? Six times, God. Go the seventh with me. Go to the mat. Call him. Bring him here. Because if his eye, listen to this, if his eye is on the sparrow, then his ear is tuned to you. God hears you. I know it feels like nobody's listening, but God has already heard you. I bring you this word of faith. You've been heard. God has registered your request. Just don't stop. Like Eli told Hannah, girl, just keep praying. God has heard you. You keep praying. All the midnights in which you have been crying out into that suffocating darkness, he has heard every prayer. Your prayers for your marriage, he has heard those prayers. Your prayers for your health, he has heard your prayers. Don't stop now. Your prayers for that job, he heard you. He has heard you. Do not quit. Your prayers for your studies this new year. God, do you know what I'm up against? Your prayers for money. He has heard the prayers for finances. He knows what you need before you ask. But as God does, He draws that prayer. He draws that prayer. Every time you pray, you draw closer to Him. That's how it works. Every time you pray, you draw closer to Him. He says, keep praying, girl. Boy, just keep praying. We're getting closer. We're getting closer. God has heard every prayer, so don't stop. That's the point of this story. That is the point of this story. Do not stop. Verse 49, Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called the blind man. I love this line too. Cheer up on your feet. He's calling for you. You're going to get that word. Gabriel, get that boy. I'm ready to move. Gabriel, that girl, bring her. Let's go. He's calling. Cheer up on your feet. He's calling for you. And so, Mr. Enthusiasm, Mr. I won't be hushed up, jumps to his feet. Blind feet, by the way. Throwing his cloak aside, verse 50. He jumps to his feet and he comes to Jesus. And verse 51, Jesus asks him, what do you want me to do for you? Hold it, Lord. Just, just, just time out, time out, time out. What do you mean? What do you want me to do? You're, you're looking at a blind man. What do you think he's going to ask you? No, 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 no. Jesus says, come on. Come on. As he has often done before, Jesus turns to the suppliant and he says, all right, confess your need and testify to your faith. What do you want me to do for you? What do you believe I could do for you? Tell me. If we don't tell him, it's not deep enough yet. Not deep enough. And boom, Bartimaeus, he knows of only one prayer request a day, and he looks into the face that he cannot see. And he says, the blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. 
Open my eyes that I may see glimpses of truth thou hast for me. Open my eyes. Jesus smiles. He knew. But it's there in the heart of this blind beggar. And so Jesus now doesn't touch him, doesn't rub the eyes, doesn't stroke the neck. He just stands there. And Jesus says to him, verse 40, 52 rather, Go! Your faith has healed you. And immediately, his sight, he received it. What's the first, what is the first vision that Bartimaeus sees when his eyes open? He's standing right there in front of Jesus. So when Jesus says, go, your faith has healed you, his eyes open and he's gazing into that one whose name, there's just something. There's just something about that name. And the strong eyes of Christ smile into the face of Bartimaeus. He just met his Savior. Face to face, what will it be when with rapture I behold him, Jesus Christ, who died for me? Face to face. Wow. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. That's it. As soon as he received his sight. Hey, wait a minute. Was that that, that old English former slave trader turned uh, hymn writer, John Newton, how did he put it? I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. I see. Wow. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus the Galilean along the road. Next Sabbath, a new semester series, The Galilean. It comes right out of this line. The Galilean, following Jesus in an iconic world. We live in a world now that has surrounded us with icons. Everywhere we turn, how shall I follow Jesus in the third millennium? I hope you come and join me in that journey. This same Jesus, by the way, who also asks of us today, what do you want me to do for you? Andrews, pioneer, what do you want me to do for you? All summer long, we've been telling him. All summer long, this campus and this congregation has been claiming a single promise from God. Isaiah 43, 19. Isaiah 44, 3. Put it on the screen. God speaking. I will do a new thing. I will pour water on those who are thirsty and floods on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. I promise you to do a new thing. Ask me. Ask me. Ask me. And believe that I can answer that prayer. Ask me. All summer long. We drew a circle last Sabbath. We drew a circle. And we are standing in that circle as a campus and congregation in this preseason of prayer that ends in just a few hours. We are standing in that circle. And we are saying, God, you promised to do a new thing 
And we are asking you, please, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're not telling you when, we're not telling you how, we're not telling you where, we're not telling you who, we're just telling you that promise. We're claiming it. And I'm not leaving this circle, God. I am not leaving this circle. I am not stopping to pray. I will not stop the prayer. Like Elijah, if it's seven times 70, I'll pray. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. We cry the prayer of Bartimaeus who drew a circle in the ground and kept crying out that prayer until it was answered. Not unlike, by the way, that friend at midnight. You remember that parable about Jesus? Come on, you know the story? Remember the guy who, in the middle of the night, somebody rings his doorbell, he answers the door, it's his long-lost uh, college roommate. He can't believe it. You know what? That, that friend should have, been, should have been wise enough to know that you spend the first night in the Holiday Inn. You, ne- you never come to a house at midnight. Just, just stay somewhere, then come in the morning. He doesn't. He comes in the middle of the night. And his receiving friend says, I have no food. Ah, but I have a friend next door. So he goes next door. You remember that parable about the friend going next door? And he's pounding on the door. In fact, he drew a circle right in front of the door. And he says, I'm standing in the circle and I'm not leaving until you give me bread. I will not leave until you answer my request. Jesus makes a commentary on that moment. And I'll put it on the screen for you. Luke chapter 11. Let's read this. Jesus says, I tell you, even though he, the sleepy neighbor inside the house, will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship... Yet, because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. And I love that NIV rendition, shameless audacity. That was Bartimaeus, shameless audacity. That was Elijah, shameless audacity. That was that widow with a judge, shameless audacity, shameless. I'm not embarrassed to keep coming back to you until you answer, shameless audacity. Audacity. And then Jesus gives this little commentary uh, in uh, verse 9, Luke 11, verse 9. Let's read it out loud together, okay? These are the words of Jesus. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. She who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Now keep reading. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Just ask me. Knock. Seek. I'll give you that gift. I will give you that gift. How much more? Shameless Audacity, that's what it is. Pleading with God to do a new thing in our midst, how much more will He? Shameless audacity. And so all summer long we have drawn a circle and declared to God, we are not leaving this circle until you open the floodgates of heaven and pour out the rain of your Spirit upon us. This campus, this congregation, three campuses here, pour it out. But you're right. It can feel, come on, come on, let's just, let's just be, be real candid, you and me. It can feel rather foolish drawing the circle and then staying in the circle. I mean, what are people going to say? I mean, what are, what, what are they going to say if I get real vocal about this? Yeah, it does feel foolish. I'm with you. I like the way Mark Batterson deals with that feeling. Put his words on the screen for you. Drawing prayer circles often feels foolish. And by the way, the bigger the circle you draw, the more foolish you'll feel. You got something audacious to ask of God? Shameless audacity? What are you asking of God? Draw a big circle for Him. 
It feels foolish to say, I'm not leaving this circle. And by the way, revival, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, there are only three prayers that you can pray that never have to be appended with the words, if it is your will. And revival is one of them. You never have to say, God, if it is your will, send that rain. It's always his will. Revival is always his will. You never have to say, if it is your will, it's my will. Ask me. Ask me. I won't give it if you don't want it. Ask me. Now it feels foolish. And the bigger the circle you draw, the more foolish you'll feel. Keep reading. In order to experience a miracle, you have to take a risk. Now hold on. This is, this is especially for an academic community like you and me. Uh, in order to experience a miracle, you have to take a risk. And one of the most difficult types of risk to take is risking your reputation. Let me tell you something. Academic communities feed off of reputation. I mean, reputation is what drives us. Now, come on, I'm not telling any secrets out of school. That's what just drives an institution like this. Come on, have you been published? No. Well, come on. I mean, that's what reputation... I'm not going to put all the learning I have, and I'm going to get in that circle. I'm going to look like a fool standing in this circle and nothing happening. You have to be willing to risk your reputation to stand in that circle no matter how it feels. How do you think Elijah felt? Keep reading. If you're unwilling, I like this, if you're unwilling to risk your reputation, you'll never build a boat like Noah or get out of the boat like Peter. That's great, isn't it? You'll never build an ark because what if it doesn't rain? What if it doesn't rain? What do they say of me? You can't worry about what they say of you. The question is, what are they saying of Jesus? Jesus just needs in Bartimaeus to stand up and start yelling at the top of his lungs, her lungs, come on. I believe Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us on this campus. That's what he needs. Make a fool out of yourself. Paul writes, we are fools for Christ. Moronon. From whence comes our word moron. We are morons for Christ. Of course it takes a fool. This is not your reputation. It's his You cannot build God's reputation if you aren't willing to risk yours. It's going to cost you. But who cares? At this moment in human history, who cares? Are you following the news out of Syria? Are you serious? You're injecting nerve gas chemicals of mass destruction into a, a, a little civil war? Are you serious? Have we gone crazy? The time is right for the miracle we're praying. Open the windows of heaven. We're not leaving this circle, dear God, until you fulfill that promise. We know it is your will. Circle makers, last line of the quote, circle makers are risk takers. There comes a moment when you need to make the call or make the move. Circle makers are risk takers, end quote. I believe it's high time that we too take that risk. Will God answer our prayer? I know he will. Get this. He did 120 years ago. Not our prayers, of course. 120 years ago this fall. I bet you didn't know this. 120 years ago this fall. The fall of 1893 on the campus of our progenitor, Battle Creek College. You do know, don't you, that Battle Creek... 
Andrews University is Battle Creek College moved to Berrien Springs. We are Battle Creek College. Sometimes it makes us feel a little bit antsy about that, but hey, it's too bad. It's history. We are the descendant. 120 years ago, this fall, once upon a time, God sent rain upon that college, and a revival such as they had not experienced before broke out on that campus. It is a glad story. I've got to tell you, this little five-foot-two-inch woman who was who's one of the founders in raising that college up, and by the way, whose idea it was to move that college to Berrien Springs, that little five-foot-two-inch woman, she comments on the revival that swept over that campus. Let me read. First, she describes this revival as, quote, the outpouring of the Spirit of God in Battle Creek. Then she describes it, quote, a time of great spiritual light in that college. And then she depicts a moment. I'm not sure anybody else caught this moment, but she caught it. She depicts a moment, quote, when Jesus stood among you. Put her words on the screen for you. Jesus, the Savior of the world. This is the fourth quote. Jesus, the Savior of the world, has passed through our churches, and that to bless God has given the Holy Spirit to those who have opened the door of their hearts to receive the heavenly gift. I'm telling you, it's a glorious, it's a glad story. With a sad ending. Because you know what? Get this. The revival that broke out on that campus that same fall was that same fall extinguished. When the students and the faculty became distracted by a new fad that was sweeping the nation and swept their campus. Just as the Holy Spirit was beginning a new thing in their midst, the enemy of God's new thing. Do you think that God doesn't have an enemy to his new thing? Please. The moment the Spirit's boots are on the ground, the enemy devises a distraction. Distract their minds, turn their hearts, shut off the showers of blessing. And it worked, tragically. What must be different this time on this campus? Here it is. We must stay in the circle with Jesus. That's it. We must stay in the circle with Jesus. Like blind Bartimaeus, we cannot leave that circle. Shameless audacity, we must stay in the circle with Jesus, who, by the way, himself stayed in the circle in Gethsemane. In spite of the massive risk it represented to him, Jesus clung to the ground and said, I'm not being dragged from this circle. On Calvary, in spite of the infinite sacrifice it would entail... He, would, he refused to leave the circle. He's the Lord of circles. We must stay in the circle with Jesus. That's it. That's what it means to be a circle maker. You say, do I? Come on, come on. How do I stay in the circle? I want to close with these words of Gypsy Smith. Put him on the screen. How to get in the circle? Here you go. Here you go. Go home. Lock yourself in your room, kneel down in the middle of the floor, and with a piece of chalk, draw a circle around yourself, and there on your knees, pray fervently and brokenly that God would start a revival within that chalk circle. Start the revival with me. Pour out the Spirit in me. You can't be worrying about my brother, my sister. You started in me. Do a new thing in me.
See that circle over my head? This one here. Can you, from where you're sitting, can you tell that there are names all over that circle? Last week there wasn't a name on it. Last night, I had the privilege of meeting with the freshmen. The new, the new thing class in this, in this uh, sanctuary. Made an appeal at the end. And at the end of that appeal, the, 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 uh, the machine began to, that old uh, mechanical engine began to slowly lower that circle down. The appeal was for moral leaders. We need moral leaders on this campus. Would you be willing to put your name to God's call? Sign up to be his moral leader this year. You say, Dwight, what does it take to be a leader? John Maxwell's definition, definition of leadership. Leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. That's it. Would you be willing to be a leader on this campus? I went home last night at 11.30 rejoicing. I mean, this picture's locked in my brain now. They just came out of these pews and when that circle hit the floor and the Chaplain Jose and his team, they're all ready to go with these big markers, and boy, they just lined up. And this was, this, this took a long time. So we just kept singing and singing as they signed up for moral leadership. You know what? When I went home, I said, God, okay, okay, okay. Philippians 1.6, my God who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion by the day of Christ Jesus. Dear God, what you started, please finish. But the point is, before the new year begins, it is critical. Battle Creek is an example. It is critical that the local home church be praying for what God is going to do. And that's why you're important to this. You say, I'm not a student. That's why you're critical to this. So I, what I would like you to do as we stand together, I want you to get your worship bulletin. You know this one that you, that you handed at the door. At the very back of the worship bulletin, it's the last, it's the last page. I wish you would just, just it's, it's perforated. Just, just tear this, this reminder. It has a Gypsy Smith quote at the bottom. And would you put this where you pray, where you pray every morning. Just put this. Let it be a reminder to you and me that the new year that begins this next week is one that we will continue to pray our way through. Keep this. You're in a dormitory now. You're a student. Come back a bit early. We're glad you're back. Put this where you have your morning worship. Just, just tuck it there where you see it. Stay in the circle. Stay in the circle with Jesus. The rain's coming. The rain is coming. Jesus promises us the rain is coming. I want you to stand to your feet. We're going to sing that old gospel hymn. There shall be showers of blessing. Send us the showers, we pray. Just stand to your feet and let's begin singing.
Heavenly Father, that is our prayer. We are in this circle until the showers come. Not because there's anything special in us. You know the truth about that. But because we believe that you are able to open the floodgates of heaven and pour out your spirit, those showers of blessing, as never before. A new thing, dear God, humbly, we ask, be faithful to the promise you have made. We believe through our Lord Jesus. And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.